Now just a quick word from one of the sponsors of this show. As you know by now, I've lived in Saigon, Vietnam for three years, and one of the reasons I've done so is that I've found a selection of places that give me a home away from home feeling. One of these places is Yujus in Tao Dien, also Haga Smart Tech. Now both of these are owned by the same lady, Han, who has appeared on the podcast to discuss her business journey from the countryside in Hoi An, Vietnam, all the way to the big city of Saigon, setting up two businesses in her brand and her image, prioritizing honesty, integrity, good quality customer service, and friendly care. If you are in the Taodian region, I highly recommend you go to Haga Smart Tech to deal with any of your electronic devices, and you juice if you want completely healthy fruit juices, smoothies, and protein shakes. That's you juice and also Haga Smart Tech. I will include the links in the show notes. Thank you, and on with the rest of the show. Hello, and welcome back to the Comeback Podcast. As usual, I am your host, Connor, and as you know by now, I interview people from Saigon, Vietnam, and across the world about a wide range of topics, including self-development, entrepreneurship, expat life, and more. And today, I am delighted to welcome my guest from Focus Asia Pacific. It is Vin, and we are going to discuss business, content creation, and a lot more. Welcome, Vin. How are you? How are you doing, Connor? I'm fine, thank you. I'm fine. Uh, did I get that correct? Focus Asia Pacific? Yes, Focus Boom. Asia Pacific. Excellent. Um, I suppose we are going to talk about that for most of the conversation, but just to give you some kind of overview, whenever I begin a podcast, I always like to get a background of the guest to see how they became the person they are today. So if you don't mind telling me, what was your life like growing up, I suppose in a general sense and also related to business? Sure. So I'm actually Vietnamese American uh, who grew up born and raised in Minnesota, which is northern uh, in the U.S. near the Canadian border. So I grew up there, went to all my schooling and education, and my parents ran a small business, a family restaurant. That's how they made their living. And so I think from that early age, I was introduced to entrepreneurism or small business. And so that's why I went to college for. And then during college, uh, I had a professor that was very excited about Asia and China, and he got me very enthusiastic about the region. And so that's where my um, interest in Asia started. And so after college, I spent a couple years in China and then fast forward to where we are today, I'm in Vietnam. So that's kind of uh, maybe in a nutshell. Sure, and I know you're fascinated by Asia, but in terms of Vietnam, considering your Viet Q, as we say, um, how was your relationship with Vietnam? Did you come back to visit at all, or was it something you only really started to do years later? That's a good question. Even though I have Vietnamese heritage, I never really tapped into that when I was growing up. I grew up in kind of a very white uh, community, smaller town in Minnesota, and I didn't have Vietnamese friends, and if there were Vietnamese in town, they were kind of recent immigrants, so I didn't really speak the language, and we really didn't click because I was so Americanized, and so it was hard to communicate with them. And then even through college, same way. Um, but actually, it was my senior year in high school. Uh, my parents I had to go to Vietnam to visit uh, my grandfather, who, who they thought uh, had an emergency medical issue, so we kind of sped off. And that's uh, the first time that opened my eyes to Vietnam and my connection to uh, my heritage. 
so I, I, it opened up this whole new world where I thought, wow, I'm Vietnamese, but I really didn't know this side. And wow, Vietnam is such an interesting country. It's so beautiful, and all this history and culture uh, that I don't know about. So that's kind of where the, I think that seed was planted. Yeah. What, then, what year was this? Do you remember? This was 1994, my senior year in high school. So right. Okay. All the way back. Yeah. I'm trying to think what Vietnam would have been like by then, just due to the nature of the change. Yeah, I would say it was a couple, or at least a decade or more after the economic changes. So it was still a very closed uh, country, and economically it was quite still poor. I just remember like being the only uh, Westerners almost in the country traveling. We were getting looks all the time. And even when we went to um, go to look for accommodation, the government you know, we were kind of like escorted around. We were told where to go in terms of our apartment or, or hotel at the time. And so and when my parents went back to Da Nang and then their smaller village, they had to check in and report in with the authorities. So it was very, very different than what is is today. And then at that time, I remember Vietnam being just much, much poorer and uh, less developed uh, compared to today. Massively, especially Saigon, I can imagine, where if you were to take Saigon in the late 90s, I'm sure it would be a very, very different pitch to the Tao Dien, which we're currently sitting in. Yes, exactly. I don't think Tao Dien even existed probably back then, to this extent. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm wondering here, before we get on to Focus, focus Asia-Pacific, because that's probably the crux of the conversation and also your work, um, what was your background in terms of, I suppose, your business to get you here to Vietnam? Like, what sort of work were you doing, perhaps in the States or elsewhere? So, I've always I was always interested in an Asia-related career, but it was kind of hard to grasp and engage and pursue. And then, realistically, in the 90s and 2000s, kind of China was rising, so there's lots of opportunity there. So, I kind of positioned myself as an importer, exporter, and so I had many or a few projects that I pursued, but ultimately failed in terms of small businesses, in terms of manufacturing in China. And then when I went to work for a company, it was somewhat related by doing trade compliance. So the movement of goods for big companies in and out of borders between uh, maybe China or the United States. So uh, logistics, supply chain, trade compliance. So that was kind of my formative years in my career. And then I've always wanted to do it on my own though, that was the whole goal. And so um, in 2016, 2017, I kind of had enough confidence to jump on, on my own and then do Amazon FBA. And then I was also bringing in products from Vietnam. That's how kind of the Vietnam journey happened. And then uh, I saw more opportunity in Vietnam. So then I thought, hey, at that age, I was you know, uh, 40, 41. I figured, hey, I don't have a family of my own. I'm not getting any younger. And then I started to come across the digital nomad community and so many people doing e-commerce online and they're living in Thailand. And then I put two and two together. I said, hey, my dream was always to do more Asia stuff. And um, I could always go back to the United States and have my same friends and regroup with them. But this Asia kind of um, interest always uh, uh, was uh, something I always wanted to pursue more. So then um, after watching some YouTubers, and then I finally decided in 2017 to make the jump full-time uh, over to Asia. Excellent, and I suppose moving to the digital nomad space has its, I guess of course it has its pros, it also has its cons. 
I'm just wondering when you began, like, how did you feel? Were you daunted? Were you nervous? Were you excited? What was your feeling? I think it was exciting and lonely at the same time. It was fun to go to Chiang Mai to network with other uh, digital nomads, people that are making money online. That was really fun to see what they were doing to meet that community. But then there were times where uh, I would spend weeks or months on my own in Da Nang in my own apartment and really didn't engage or see anyone. So I kind of had a, two different lifestyles. It was fun in a way that I could, uh, I was free to like travel Southeast Asia on a whim and explore. I would partake in cycling um, maybe three three or four times a week in Da Nang along the beach and in the mountains uh, so I was um, pursuing my passion in terms of cycling and interest so it was fun in that regard but it could be lonely at times too yeah I can imagine so when you first arrived then and you're networking with like-minded people what sort of things were they telling you in terms of developing your career in the digital nomad space were there any main tips that stood out for you um, I think I learned it on my own, which is kind of have a routine, and then that um, includes uh, starting my day early, it could be 5 or 6 a.m., and then trying to go to the gym or something, physical activity, and then I think I learned throughout the course that I have to kind of plan ahead, my day ahead the night before, or have two or three things that I want to accomplish. Otherwise, as you probably know, it's really easy just to, um, you know, watch YouTube or do Facebook all day without someone watching over you, telling you you should do something else. So I think uh, in that regard, I've kind of learned on my own that it's, it's uh, that the self-discipline you have to kind of um, include in, into your schedule. Yeah, definitely. I can imagine discipline, and I think we all have had to learn it since mm -hmm. 2020, the discipline of staying at home and really getting into that routine where without say a boss or a set office schedule it can be quite easy just to fall into the, the Netflix or the Facebook traps but you really need to have your head switched on if you're going to succeed in the online working game. Yeah, definitely. I'm wondering how did you begin I suppose monetizing your services like basically how did you make money online? So I started off uh, doing Amazon FBA so buying some products from Vietnam and then uh, um, replenishing products to the warehouses in the United States. So I did that and then I sold my business in 2019. Nothing super big, but that was a win uh, at the very least. And then I got into drop shipping and I tried really hard uh, with drop shipping, meaning uh, um, cooperating with suppliers and manufacturers in the United States at the sell their products in the US. So I, I did two or three stores, but ultimately the traffic um, decreased and then the advertising cost increased, so it was really hard to make money. Uh, there were some spells where I did pretty decent and did very well, but then there was times where it wasn't, so it wasn't very sustainable. So then I was looking to, for something else and then actually, actually in my network, I was lucky to be put in touch with um, a Chinese trading company that through my uh, alumni association uh, they knew I was working in Vietnam and so they reached out to me and asked me if I could start their Vietnam office so that's kind of officially what I'm doing is uh, I am the Vietnam sourcing manager for this Chinese trading company and so that's kind of what I'm doing now. 
Right, I see. And what's it like doing this? That's been since 2019, right? Yes. Okay, so obviously straight afterwards we had the pandemic. How did your role, I suppose, change from when you began to the pandemic suddenly taking over? As in, how did it affect the nature of your work? Oh yeah, pretty much wiped out a lot of our plans. Uh, there was just months after months uh, at a time where, as you know, even up to a year where factories were closed. So I was lucky enough to still uh, take home a salary and get paid even though I was not even going out or doing any um, factory tours or anything. So the company was very understanding with the situation because of you know, COVID since no one was entering or leaving the country, the factories are closed and I was working at home and so they understood that. So um, COVID really hit our industry, manufacturing and exports really, really hard. Um, so a lot of our projects got um, sidelined and then um, post COVID now things here and there are, are coming up but um, again not so busy as in 2019. Yeah see how has the, ba the bounce back been? Has it been a slow process of getting things together or say let's say post COVID so 2022 did it just pick up fairly quick? Mm -hmm. What was the process like? I think factory wise we're back uh, to normal so to speak we did have the supply chain issues and like a lot of the delays and the exorbitant pricing in terms of container shipping. So all of that was uh, six months, a year ago, big problems. Factories, I think, are back to normal for the most part. Uh, the big part on our end is our customers in the U.S. are still slow to place orders, which means my work in Vietnam is still kind of slow. So we're waiting for... Um, their TARP program or some kind of um, hardware that they want to start up in the United States. So we're just waiting on the decision makers to make a decision and then I'll have more work. But in the meantime, it's kind of slow for myself, even though factories are still kind of busy in Vietnam. Right, I see. And let's bring in the, I suppose, the content creation aspect of Focus Asia Pacific. What is that and where did that begin? So as I mentioned, I always had an interest in Asia and then now being based in Asia, I just assumed the next step was to have like a YouTube channel and a website just to kind of, um, uh, I guess, write about my experiences, do some videos and kind of tell the world about what's happening in this part. Because I think most people back home, uh, they're not as open, I guess, to Asia or what's happening here, unless you've been here, you've been through or you lived mm. in, spent a year in Saigon or something like that. Most of the people, especially my friends back home, um, you know, they're, they, they're not really interested in China or what's happening in Vietnam, really. So uh, I thought it would be kind of a, a benefit for everyone if I kind of told the Vietnam's story, Asia's story, what's happening economically. Uh, there's actually foreigners living here, doing business here, lots of things, activity going on. So that's where the idea uh, came from. Right, I see. And when did this begin again? Remind me. It began about, uh, I would say, two and a half years ago. Mm. Uh, I started the YouTube channel and I wanted it to be more of a business um, uh, kind of niche. I wanted to help people in that industry. I didn't want to just be like entertaining, like going out eating street food or whatever. Mm. There's just so many of that. Plus, it doesn't fit my personality. And then I wanted to play off my experience as someone that's in the sourcing industry. So I figured that there must be other small businesses or importers are looking 
to do manufacturing or buying product in Vietnam, but they don't know necessarily where to go or how to do it. So I figured, well, if I put myself out there, offer some services, do some video or content on that segment, then uh, the traffic might come in. How would a video typically look? Would it be you perhaps going to certain places and saying, this is where X happens. If you get in touch with me, I can tell you about Y and Z. Is that how a typical video would work or? I usually uh, choose it like a niche, whether it's furniture or whatever uh, that I believe uh, or have connections with the Vietnamese factory, then I might talk about that issue. And then I can utilize some of my contacts if, I, if they're open to uh, me filming or going there or talking about the company, then I will highlight that company. So I've done that in the past. Otherwise, I talk about issues regarding Vietnam, whether it be visas, staying in Vietnam, Vietnam lifestyle, and then also mix in some business, some factories, and then that drives some interest. Maybe there's an importer or someone that wants to buy clothing or make clothing in Vietnam. They want to buy furniture from Vietnam. Uh, they want to uh, buy other products. So then I kind of um, uh, talk to them and consult with them. I suppose from a basic point of view, like what sort of equipment do you use for your YouTube? How long would it take to, I guess, arrange, produce, and then publish a video? What are the logistics like? For me, it's I, I do everything on my own, which means I uh, do the video editing and shooting video and all that. It's been a learning process. I had no idea three, four years ago of how to really operate a camera. And then I started to watch Think Media on YouTube and some other influential channels about starting your own YouTube channel. And so I shoot with uh, Panasonic cameras, the G7, G85, kind of basic entry level mirrorless cameras. And then um, I, you know, they'll tell you that lighting is very important, so we get kind of like a spotlight. And then audio is probably the most important. And so I get a, a Zoom recorder and I've learned how to use it. And so if that's kind of my main setup, if I'm doing like a talking head, and then I use kind of a basic uh, video editing software. Um, um, I think it's Elements, Premiere Elements, kind of the mid-range one. Not the I'm not doing movies or anything like that. So some basic, basic stuff like that. And I've, it's just learning on the way. And uh, it takes me about roughly, I would say, a week from terms of like conceiving an idea and then finding a place to shoot and then getting B-roll. Uh, my latest one was on Taudien uh, with Guillaume. And uh, we talked about uh, pros and cons of living in Taudian, so that means I, I needed to go out and get B-roll footage. And then it takes a few days because one day it was rainy, one day it was a little bit too late, and so it doesn't fit my schedule, so I have to find another time to go out and then go around town to take uh, actual footage to uh, relay into that um, video. Yeah, I know it can be tricky. I know from my own schedule about like certain times where things have to be done and the rain can come in a second and ruin yeah. everything. So I can imagine it's tricky. And I'm wondering about time management. You are currently working with outsourcing. Sorry, remind me, source managing? Uh, um, sourcing products in Vietnam, yes. And sourcing products, yeah. yeah. Um, and content creation. Mm -hmm. Are you still doing things related to digital nomad and online work? I touch upon it once in a while in my videos, um, but me personally, I'm not doing dropshipping, not doing e-commerce at the moment, but I still think there's opportunities 
uh, and I'm exploring those or hope to in the near future. Mm. I'm wondering, the reason I ask you is just about time management where mm. that's obviously essential for anyone who's an entrepreneur or anyone I suppose in work or life balance. How do you, I suppose, manage your time? Um, I think for me what's worked, uh, one is I get a dedicated workspace. Uh, in this case, I have access to an office and then so that helps me kick out two or three hours. Uh, usually for my personal businesses, I can work on them either evenings or the weekends, like a Saturday or Sunday afternoon. So that helps. And then in terms of project management, I always have lots of ideas, just like so many other entrepreneurs. And the, the, um, the problem that m most people fall into is they're chasing too many ideas. So that's always the hard thing. So I try to whittle it down to maybe two or three items and then what I see has potential, good timing that takes off, maybe I'll dedicate more time with that. So um, I think and those things help me with time management in terms of uh, getting, being more productive, getting more done, uh, and having a consistent um, and a reliable place. Excellent. From. Yeah, I'm just wondering on how to balance so many things. It can be very easy to say, oh, I've got this idea and this, and then get completely overwhelmed. Yeah, like loads of tabs open in your mind. Yeah, and the other quote unquote secret for me is I write down every day my goals in life. So, uh, you know, if it's three or five things that I want to succeed or I want to do, whether it be financial numbers or the businesses I want to be running. So, I write some of those down, and then it helps remind me like that's the ultimate thing I want to be doing. Uh, so it's always a good reminder and then like I said on the weekends or even most Sundays I write about a review in terms of uh, my life, where is it going and then for the rest of the week what should I be focusing on because I think that's the key issue is uh, determining where you want to be and how you're going to get there and then what projects you want to focus on. Absolutely, I think it's diluted focus will get diluted results so if you put all your focus on what your priorities are right then you've got more of a chance of success yeah absolutely and I like the fact that you kind of do that introspection of looking at where you really want to be mm -hmm. and especially when it's on paper mm -hmm. because otherwise it can be very easy to just go on autopilot and throw things around and be caught up with things that don't necessarily align with your values or your mission but if you have it on that piece of paper it's much easier to filter out what's important what's not important, sorry, and bring in what is important. Yeah, right. It's almost both. Yes, exactly. I'm wondering about your core values. Um, what are some of the core values you think you have in your business or in your professional life that you abide by, such as integrity or creativity? What are some values that you have? I would say right off, it, the top three would, have, would be kind of similar too, would be honesty, uh, trustworthy, and integrity. I think all those is what I try to exude as a personal, uh, as as a person first, and then in my businesses. So I think that uh, takes care of itself. So what I mean by that is like I do what I say, and I say what I do. You know. So if I promise you something or I tell you something, um, I will do it, and then I will follow up. On. So I think early in life I realized there's no point of um, uh, being deceiving or trying to trick the, um, the other person, I just you never get anywhere. So I try to live by that core value in my life. Uh, just the small things too, uh, because I'm annoyed when 
someone uh, tells white lies or uh, makes promises but doesn't come through or they say something but uh, they're just saying it just to put on a, on a show and so I, I don't like that so I know in my life if I don't like that then I'm not going to do that so then I do the opposite so I think most people when they do meet me in person they could tell who I am after it's just a few minutes, I would think. I think that's very important, absolutely, yeah. and especially practicing what you preach and actually living by it. Yeah. When we speak about introspection, you mentioned goals. Do you set short, medium, long-term goals? I do, and I got that idea from the book uh, Millionaire Fast Lane by MJ DeMarco. Heard of it, yeah. And uh, he talked about that, uh, having a one-year plan, three-year, five-year, and 10-year, just sketching that out, what that might look like. You might not know, but just doing that exercise helps you kind of um, put the priority of what you want to do. At least think, start thinking about it. So that's helped me. And I don't always hit it. You know, Mike, one year from now I had some goals or uh, other plans, but just didn't work out. But at least I had something to look forward to or to at least have some kind of structure to my life versus jumping off from one point to the other. Absolutely. May I ask you what your short, medium, and long-term goals are? Sure. So um, in one or two years, uh, my wife and I will be in Florida uh, with my parents, most likely for a couple years there. And then I'm hoping to start a couple businesses that I'm working on, which includes online business, includes like websites, digital marketing, and things like that. Uh, I would love to build up a team with someone I can trust in Vietnam or working with Filipino VAs. So that would be more of like a five-year plan. And then uh, that includes being based in Minnesota, the Twin Cities. I really love um, Minneapolis, St. Paul. I think it's a great place to have a family and raise kids. And so I think that's my long-term plan. And then if you're looking at 10-year, then I would still be doing business, importing products, uh, working on online businesses and then I would like to be like a supplier selling e-commerce so importing products from China or Vietnam and um, uh, living a simple life I think that's kind of what I like in terms of core value core values uh, I, I love simplicity I love living car free uh, I love the simple things in life such as spending time with your family at a park uh, spending time with your kid or, or things like that. That makes me happiest the most, not necessarily having the, uh, the most expensive luxury goods or anything like that. Absolutely. No, I think it's key to break it down to the simplicity and also have that short, medium, long-term strategy. Mm -hmm. So thank you very much for sharing. Um, before we get to, I suppose, the final stages of the conversation, when I was looking into your profile just for research for this interview, I saw a book. Is it true that you've published a book? Yes. Can you tell me about that? So in 2019, no, excuse me, in 2017, I went to check my Thailand and my idea I already had was to uh, start YouTube, uh, start a website, and then even publish a book. And then, so I published a book called uh, Geo Arbitrage, and I wanted to talk about my experience and help others on their digital nomad journey, whether it be uh, starting in Thailand or Vietnam. So there wasn't too many people writing about Vietnam, so I figured that might be my expertise. And then I thought it was a good exercise because I figured in life I want to write a couple books at least. So I wanted to go through that in terms of how, do that, how does that start and then 
who do you have to get to edit your uh, book and, and the process of how you get it out there to the world. So I really wanted to go through that exercise and so I, I did it. It was my first uh, book that I, I wrote. I don't think it was ever a, a bestseller, so to speak, but it, it was more for personal reasons. And then I, that's how I... Edited. Excellent. No, I'm glad. And I think a lot of people will probably go through that process of wanting to write a book, but including myself, but just not knowing where to start or how to tie it in. You actually did it. And yeah. It doesn't have to be a bestseller, quote unquote. Right. As long as you do it and right. it's for a personal reason, right. you can always look back like you are now a published author and you right. can say that. Sure. Yeah. Before we get to the final question, I, this is my version of, I suppose, putting the guest in my shoes and getting some kind of constructive feedback in a way. And the question is, um, has there been a question that I've not asked you that you would have liked me to or you expected me to ask you? Um, yeah, one question might be, uh, was your was my ultimate decision to go to Asia a good one or not? That is a good question. So Vin, was your decision to go to Asia a good decision or not? I would have to say it was a good decision overall, but there were lots of mistakes on the way, uh, failed businesses, uh, struggling, trying to make friends. Um, and it's been bumpy, it hasn't been all roses. But in the aggregate, when I look back at my life, where I'm at compared to other people or friends or in just my personal uh, reasons, what I want out of life, I look at it as a, a good move. I've been here almost five years and I've gotten to know Vietnam and Southeast Asia and I'm definitely living a much more exciting life than what I could have been doing back in Minnesota. Um, so for me, yes, uh, I think looking back, it's been a good ride, uh, but that's not saying there were lots of bumps on the way. Mm, but I think it's natural to be honest with anyone's journey, especially as an expert, you might, you, you'll see the highlight reel. Like I'm sure you'll see the photos of people on the beach or when they close the deal or living in this beautiful country of Vietnam. But of course there are going to be challenges like, yeah, you might struggle to make friends at first, you might struggle to adapt, things are different to what you're used to and we're hardwired for familiarity, so that can cause issues. But I think we do learn from the mistakes, from things that go wrong, and ultimately it's what makes us. And on that note, I suppose following on from that, do you mind telling me some of the key lessons you've learned along the way, perhaps due to, I suppose, your challenges? Like what have those challenges taught you about yourself, about your business? What have you learned along the way? Um, number one for business, I've heard it before, you know, they say like you should find your community or like-minded people and I think that's really true and I didn't find it until a couple years ago when I came across the Tropical MBA podcast and that Dynamite Circle is what they call it and it's a group of online entrepreneurs that travel the world that are running big successful companies online and so I think that was one of the biggest insights and I part of that group today and I run their Saigon uh, local meeting every month and I met just wonderful amazing people uh, through that group and so just surrounding myself with uh, successful people and to learn what they're doing 
and to see how they're doing has really propelled me further and given me more confidence uh, to succeed my goals and to move forward. So I think that's probably the biggest lesson uh, that I'm grateful for, uh, for coming upon that. Absolutely. No, it's crucial to learn from people and learn and also use that as a tool for development. And I'm delighted that you found that outlet. The final question usually is related to future goals, but we have touched upon that with short, medium and long term. So the final question I will ask you is, I suppose, related to Vietnam. Now, because you've been here a while now and you've been in certain businesses, you, I'm sure you've spotted patterns or trends. How do you see, I suppose, Vietnam going in the next few years post-COVID? As in, do you see more people coming to live here? Do you see more production here in Vietnam? What do you think will happen? I think, generally speaking, it looks pretty positive for Vietnam. Um, I think there's so much opportunity in tourism, and then I think we're gonna see more digital nomads, more expats being based from Vietnam before 10, 15 years ago, maybe it was Thailand, the Philippines, Bali. But I think more and more people are picking it up that Vietnam is now a very comfortable, a go-to country. And in terms of industry, I think Vietnam will continue to be very strong in manufacturing, export, supply chain, stealing a little bit of the thunder from China. And then I, what I've been reading and uh, seeing as technology. So a lot of the youth, the 20s year olds, uh, they're getting into um, high tech, uh, social media, e-commerce, digital marketing, um, the kind of the manufacturing 4.0 using technology. So I think those areas are gonna be, play a big role in Vietnam's future. Excellent. Then, thank you very much for your time. I've really enjoyed this conversation and learning from what you've learned and your insights. Thank you very much. Keep up the good work and all the very best. Thanks, Connor. My pleasure.